everybody. This is Carlos. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, we're going to be speaking with one of the best up-and-coming boa breeders out there, Dave Schmidt of Kinetic Genetics. We're going to talk about how he got involved in the boa game and his plans for the upcoming season. We're also going to talk about his work with the Pastel Dream Monster Tail Line and what his life in military special operations has been like. Finally, we're going to talk about how to take care of your collection while being away on deployment. Boa Rack Radio is on the air now. Welcome everybody to Boa Rack Radio. My name is Carlos Rojas of Morphs Unleashed. And today my guest is Dave Schmidt of Kinetic Genetics. Dave is one of the up and coming boa breeders on the East Coast. He's known for producing top quality boas that integrate the pastel dream monster tail gene along with the VPI gene. Um, Dave, welcome to the show, man. Hey, how you doing, Carlos? Thanks for having me. Good, brother. How's life treating you lately, man? Uh, doing all right. I guess you could call this like the uh, quarantine podcast episode right now, huh? <laughs> yeah, dude. This is, uh, I think we are into our second week of quarantine over here. Uh, but I think overall, I think we're, we're dealing with it, man. Been hanging out with the snakes a lot. They started talking back. Yeah. Last couple yeah, days. Definitely. So, yeah. <laughs> they just recently put everything on lockdown here in Ohio. So it's been interesting to, to say the least. Yeah, man. So, um, let me, uh, hit a little bit of your background, brother. So, uh, for those who don't have the pleasure to know you, um, why don't you give us a little bit of a breakdown how you first got involved in reptiles and, you know, what your interest in uh, boas, uh, when did that start? So it basically started uh, when I was a kid. Uh, I was always into reptiles and I got my first boa, geez, I was probably 11 or 12 years old and uh, his name was Columbo because uh, he was a Colombian uh, reptile. <laughs> And uh, after that, I kept various things, bearded dragons, corn snakes, boas. And then uh, in high school, I picked up a couple more boas and I bred, I think, two or three litters while I was in high school. And then uh, after that, kind of grew up, life got in the way, got rid of them. Uh, and then I joined the Marine Corps about 10 years ago. Uh, I did uh, 10 years in the Marine Corps. I was a force recon scout sniper. And uh, once life got a little more stable and I got married, uh, I ended up uh, deciding to get back into it a little bit. So uh, that started with um, a VPI jungle and a jungle motley het VPI that I picked up from Jeremy Stone about six years ago. And after that, you know, I told my wife, oh, it's just these two boas. And, you know, <laughs> and the great lie. Poor yeah, Kelsey. <laughs> we, all, we all know how that ends up. Uh, and that quickly evolved from there and got more and more and the rest is history pretty much. Yeah, man. So um, I know that uh, your background is going to be significantly different than probably the vast majority of people within the boa industry. So uh, we'll, we'll hit it in, in depth in, in a second. Uh, but right now, what are you uh, doing uh, right now for a living outside of snakes? So yeah, it's kind of funny you asked me that. Um, I just landed a uh, contracting job uh, to do uh, contracting work overseas. And I actually just landed the job about two weeks ago and I was all pumped up, ready to go. And then they informed us that there is uh, quite a delay in going to work because of this whole coronavirus. So they're talking about us not being able to work until May right now. So 
right now, man, I'm just kind of hanging out. Yeah, like, so story, waiting to work. <laughs> yeah, man, no, I feel you. And uh, for those that have never dealt with uh, private military contractors before, this is, you know, kind of uh, standard when and ever any issues uh, end up arising, either domestically or overseas. Um, but um, let's kind of talk about a little bit about kinetic constrictors. When did you decide to kind of put that together? And kind of what are, what are some of the visions for uh, your uh, boa beating, breeding um, business? So I decided to put it together and kind of go public with it on Facebook. You know, I did a whole create a little Facebook business page for it and all that um, early last year. So last year I, I bought, I started buying up. Everything was babies, you know, and uh, of course, as everyone listening knows, it, you know, it takes a while till everything's ready to go and of breeding age. So last year was my first season kind of you know starting breeding and uh i had three litters last year so i decided yeah why not kind of think of a creative name and start a little uh business with it and kind of go public and go from there yeah so talk to me about what those uh those litters were last year and kind of what you ended up producing maybe some of the highlights out of there so last year i bred a um it was actually one of the first original snakes that i bought from you it was a really nice uh, sunglow jungle vpi male that i got from you and i bred him to a rc pastel motley so i got a really nice litter of course they're all 100 percent heavy vpis and it was a mix of uh, uh rc pastel jungles and motleys and motley jungles all uh het vpi which turned out pretty great um i also bred one of the better litters that I had a really positive response with was a uh, lipstick call breeding that I did. Um, I got the original parents as babies from uh, Mike, and that was a lipstick hypomotley het call, and then I bred her to a lipstick uh, sunglow jungle. And that was a pretty nice litter that made a lot of great babies, actually. And the last one was I finally bred one the original Jungle Motley Het VPI girl that I got from Jeremy Stone to a Aztec Het VPI that I got from RC, and uh, they produced a pretty decent litter for me as well. Uh, one of the babies from that litter I still have. I'm, I'm gonna end up hanging on to her because she's turns out she color she's coloring up very nicely. It's a visual VPI uh, Aztec Jungle girl that I got out of that nice. litter. And, yeah, she's looking pretty solid these days. So um, within um, the BOA game, as many other people, kind of when you're getting back into it or maybe even starting for the first time, a lot of times we tend to attach ourselves to various mentors within the game. Talk about a, a, talk a little bit about who were some of the main mentors that helped you out in the process and uh, are also kind of inspiring you to drive forward. Uh, one of them would definitely have to be, well, of course you (laughs) got to give my buddy some credit. You know, I I came to you, I think probably first with, you know, questions and picked up some stuff from you as well. Um, another guy would be Richard, Richard. if you're listening, I'm probably going to butcher your last name. Uh, yeah, yeah. RC, uh, I, I've, I've talked with him quite a lot about things and, uh, picked up a lot of nice animals from him over the past couple seasons, um, another dude that I really like, and it, I think it speaks a lot about the content of his character is, uh, Richard Del Bono. Uh, never even bought an animal from the guy, but I've discussed a lot of things with him 
And uh, one cool thing that Rich did for me too, when I was living in North Carolina, we all had to evacuate uh, from the hurricane. And I had to move all my snakes down to Florida to my in-laws' house. It was an absolute nightmare. And I had nothing to feed them. And I hit him up and he invited me over to his place and showed me his collection and, and hooked me up with a bunch of rats and mice for my snakes. So guys like that, uh, pretty good to, uh, to have in this, uh, in this game for sure. Yeah, no, 100%. I think uh, both of the Richards are as solid as they come. They're always out trying to help whoever they can, you know, whether or not they, they gain anything financially from it. They're just right. solid, solid good dudes, both of them, you know? Yeah, definitely. All right, man. So let's talk a little bit about uh, your hobbies outside of reptiles. Obviously, me and you are personal friends because obviously we have the connection because uh, we served in the same special operations community. But uh, hobby-wise, we've also been we've also hung out a lot over the last couple of years. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, hobby-wise, man, I'm a big outdoorsman and I love bow hunting. Uh, I'm a big deer hunter, originally from Ohio, so I do a lot of whitetail hunting in Ohio. Uh, big turkey hunter too, and I love fishing. Fishing's fun. Uh, when I moved down to North Carolina, it kind of ruined freshwater fishing for me. And uh, I started doing a lot of land-based shark fishing in North Carolina. And that was that was a blast. And you were even uh, on the news buddy. a couple of times, right, for uh, catching just massive sharks off the beach. Yeah. yeah and you, were, and you weren't keeping look- anything. You were all tagging and tagging them and releasing them. Maybe talk a little bit about that tagging program. Yeah, so it was a tagging program for NOAA. Uh, they have a shark tagging program, and so we'd catch these huge tiger sharks and hammerhead sharks from the beach to North Carolina, and we'd tag them and then, you know, ship out uh, the information back to NOAA about the, you know, species, length, sex, all that stuff, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Caught a lot of big sharks and caught a couple sharks. It was pretty interesting that were uh, previously tagged. we pull them in, and You'd see the tags sticking out of their back covered in seaweed and barnacles. And, you know, it's kind of cool to see positive feedback from their program that they have going on tagging those sharks like that. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I I think there's a lot of misconception out there that guys, for example, that uh, big game hunt or, you know, whether it be on land or in water when you're obviously fishing for, you know, apex predators like shark that, you know, we're out there trying to kill things. And the reality is that's about as far from the truth as you can get. The reality is most of us are super passionate about their conservation. And a lot of us are involved with various biological uh, programs, whether they're at the federal or at the state level. You know what I mean? Yeah, no doubt about that. I, the, the funnest part for me personally catching and you know putting your hands on animals that size i mean a bunch of the tiger sharks we caught were over 12 feet uh, my biggest tiger was 12 four biggest hammerhead Jesus was 12 Christ. two yeah and, and uh, what do you the estimate they weighed? about it uh the tigers the big females uh the big 12 four female she was probably close to a thousand pounds she holy shit girl. yeah and then the other ones you know five six hundred pounds but uh, the coolest part about that for me is, is releasing them because you got to take them back out into the water. You know, and, you, you and the water. what people don't get, you got to get in the water with them. You're in waist deep water, and they can turn around and snack on you if they wanted to at that point. Right, right, right. It's pretty cool though, getting in waist deep water with them and grabbing them by their peck fins and actually kicking and and swimming with them. And a couple times I'd hold on to their peck fins and go down underwater with them and go for a little ride on on the big eleven, twelve footers it's uh it's pretty awesome (laughs) yeah it's pretty insane dude i mean i've been in the water obviously in southern california and i've actually been in the water with a couple of uh 
big, great white females in the past, man, but I would never try to make contact with them, dude, so you're a little bit nutty for that <laughs> one, bro. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, man, and then the other thing I think both of us are super passionate about, obviously, is uh, um, Western-style bow hunting, you know, hunting from uh, spot and stock type method, you know, where it's extremely difficult and, you know, most of the time you only get one shot maybe a season to to really make it happen yeah yeah no doubt you know like i said i, I grew up you know just bow hunting whitetails in ohio and that's all you know tree stand hunting so when i first came out there and hunted with you out in arizona it was uh it's definitely eye-opening and definitely uh got me addicted to it for sure and especially well, I, here and all those big bull elk bugling at the end of mule deer season man that was uh that was an experience yeah, that's what I was going to say, man. Like, uh, I think the moment I knew you were addicting, you're like, yeah, I'm coming back here anytime I'm not deployed and when I have the, the funds to come out here. Was no the doubt. moment that, <laughs> that big ass uh, bull elk was bugling just a couple yards from us and your eyes were about as big as saucer plates, dude. Yeah, I, that was that was something else. And yeah. I got goose egged again this year for drawing my elk tag. So Same here, year. man. Hey. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hopefully, me and you next year. Yeah. Same app. Put it on the same app. Hopefully, we'll get drawn. Yep. I think I figure I'm going in with uh, 12 points next year. So, yeah, the outlook I mean, is good. I'm gonna draw. Hopefully, you do at least. I'll come out there and do some calling for you. Yeah, man. So let's talk a little bit about um, your military life. I know a lot of guys that listen out there are guys that are uh, currently active duty military, and we appreciate and thank them all for their service, dude. Um, but your military life is unique in the sense that, obviously, you were a Marine, and then from the Mar in the Marine Corps, the best and the greatest of all Marines eventually volunteered to join uh, uh, the special operations rank within either a Marine Force Reconnaissance or uh, um, the Marine Raider community. Um, for those who are unaware of what that is, it's essentially the Marine Corps version of the SEAL teams. I guess that's the easiest way I can put it back uh, to uh, those people that might not know that. But that being said, it's an extremely tough school. Um, we have a very, very, very low graduation rate. So if you think about it, the top 1% in the entire Marine Corps volunteers for that sort of duty. And really from that top 1%, you know, depending on the year between six to 13% graduate the pipeline, you know? Um, right. so with that being said, um, you even took it a step further than I did and uh, you actually became a um, uh, scout sniper within the Marine Reconnaissance community. So talk a little bit what it was like kind of coming up within the Reconnaissance community, maybe throw a story out there of when you were a roper, and uh, maybe talk <laughs> a little bit about you know your time um, either being a pig or eventually becoming a hog uh, and what that was like. Yeah, it was, um, it was very interesting, to say the least. It, it was something after I graduated uh, – BRC, which is the basic reconnaissance course, and became a recon rain. Uh, that was my one. That was my big goal. That was my next hurdle that I wanted to accomplish uh, was to also become a scout sniper. And uh, it took a little while for me to get that opportunity. And uh, you know, when I finally did, I went for it and you know gave it a hundred percent every day. And uh, it was definitely a long, long, tough road for sure. There's no doubt about that. Um, but it's it, it's a hell of a community, man. You know, it was an absolute honor to be amongst those guys in that rank. You know, with everything from the past and the, the deep rooted traditions in the recon and scout sniper communities, it was it was definitely awesome. Highlight of my life for sure. 
Yeah, knowing I think the one thing about that is many people would assume that, you know, obviously uh, there's a lot of risk and dangers associated with being in a special operations unit, regardless, you know, which service, whether you're on a SEAL team, whether you're on a Green Beret A team or whether you're on uh, a, a Raider team or a Marine uh, a Force Reconnaissance team. But um, really, despite the hazards associated with that, the thing that you end up really appreciating is the guys that you end up serving with. And you forge lifelong friendships that are more akin to brotherhood than they ever are to any type of friendship you find outside. Oh, um, yeah. The world. No doubt about that, man. Um, I mean, I, I'm still very close friends with... I, I served in all three recon battalions um, out at Camp Pendleton at First Recon and then third recon in Okinawa, and then second recon in uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, over the course of uh, almost 10 years. And, uh, man, I, I still have buddies from, from all three battalions that I talk to on a regular basis. It definitely it forges a friendship and a bond that, you know, I, I learned really quickly after getting out, you know, that you just you can't find it, you know, in the civilian world. It's just, it's just not there. Um, you know, you just... Uh, one of the mottos in the community is, you know, pain, misery, and suffering. And when you go through all that with those type of guys, it, it really forges a, uh, a lifelong bond for sure. Oh, 100%. And that's why essentially our motto outside of that one is never above you, never below you, always besides you, right? Because we always that's try right. to be there for each other no matter what. So I know there's a lot of guys that hit me up on the regular asking you know, what do I have to do to join in special operations? How can I prepare myself? Um, what's some of the tips that you might give the guys and gals who are interested in kind of that career path? The main tips I would give, um, you have to really, you need to want it. You have to want it. If, if your heart and soul isn't 100% in it, um, you're just not going to make it. Um, during BRC, man uh especially first phase going to the pool every single day and just getting the life thrashed out of you like you know i'll be completely honest the the i would never i, I never would have acted on it but you know you, you think about well if i quit maybe you know it won't be that bad or i can just you know be a regular infantryman or whatever like you really have to want it because you're you're tested every single day every single day in and out and um it's it's really rough but the the main piece of advice i would give is just simply don't quit um a lot of it is physically demanding obviously um but i would say it's probably like 70 30 or 81 20 mental to physical you know oh 100 i you know there's a lot of guys in our you know pre-brc course and then throughout brc that were just absolute physical studs but they just they, they weren't there mentally and you know that caused them to uh to tap out and, and quit you know so i would say just make sure it's really what you truly want um and just give it your all every single day and just know that eventually it, it ends like you're not going to be <laughs> a roper forever you know you're eventually going to hit that finish line and man i tell you what after the end of the death hike when we crossed that finish line um, it was, it was probably one of the top moments of my life next to my daughter being born. It was just, it was an unbelievable feeling like nothing else. Absolutely, man. So let's talk a little bit about what it was like trying to maintain a collection while, you know, being still on active duty and you're constantly training 
and you're constantly deploying, which is something that um, a lot of people out there can echo whether or not they were in special operations. Obviously, our, our, our operational tempo is a little bit higher in that community. But even guys in the regular military, um, you know, they have to deal a lot with, oh, my God, I just got my first set of deployment orders. What am I going to do with my BOAs? What am I going to do with my collection? How are we going to keep that up? So maybe provide us some tips about how you made that happen. Uh, get a good wife who's going to put up with it. <laughs> um, yeah, man, I, I, I have to give credit where it's due, man. And, and all the credit goes to my wife, Kelsey, honestly, because especially in our community, as you know, our, our op tempos, you know, ridiculous and, you know, workups and training, like I'd be even not being deployed. I would still probably say I was gone quite often at least 90 percent of the just, time yep yeah just training you know because a lot of our training is outsourced from where we're stationed and we're traveling constantly so yeah she's the one who really uh really pulled through for me and uh you know took care of everything while i was gone and it's kind of funny she she would always have um she would use oven mitts for like pulling hot trays out of the oven while dealing with some of the aggressive boas and <laughs> that's stuff. hilarious so, yeah, so every time I came home, it would be like, you know, random oven mitts laying around the snake room that she used. And <laughs> yeah, but it, I would say, you know, and obviously you can't keep them in the barracks. So uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, ha- having a good spouse that, that's on your team and understands, you know, why you're doing it and why you, why you love the hobby is, uh, is absolutely critical. And I wouldn't have anything I have right now if it wasn't for her. There's no doubt about that. No, 100%, man, and she's one of the really, really good ones, man. I re- a funny story I actually have about your wife is that one day she FaceTimes me panicking because she wasn't able to get a hold of you, and I think it was uh, either while you were at military freefall school uh, or while you were at some training, other training evolution. She was uh, trying to get a hold of me because one of your boas dropped the litter, and she was like, what yeah, we, do I we do? Were in, uh... Yeah, we were in uh, Texas uh, for a free fall package doing Halo and Hey Ho jumps that time, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember, you know, she's showing me basically the boa and, you know, we're FaceTiming trying to figure out how to help her out. It was it was pretty funny, but at that moment I was like, man, Dave, you better keep keep that one, you know? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, brother. Yeah. So let's uh, circle right back to uh, snakes and boas. So. Talk to me a little bit about your uh, primary f- uh, project focus at the moment. What are some of the things that you're working on? What are some of the goals that you're hoping to accomplish uh, boa breeding-wise and some of the you know projects that you're re- really looking forward to? Um, so right now, uh, let's see here. I have a relatively what I would consider smaller size collection compared to most. Um, sitting at six adult breedable size females right now and i have um 10 more that are in the shoot that should be ready to breed um next year uh my primary focus was and i always i pay attention to to what people like and you know successful people and i automatically you know naturally try to emulate them and 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 do what they're doing to create my own success because i see you know how well it's working for them so i i bought up um couple animals uh from rc i have some really nice rc pastel head call animals i have they'll be ready to breed next year um one of them is an rc pastel um jungle motley head call 
and I actually picked up a uh, really nice looking call Aztec from RC as well. So I'm going to breed an Aztec call to an RC pastel jungle motley head call. And uh, I think that litter is going to be really awesome looking. Yeah, uh, no, 100%. I also got some man. RC pastel. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, One of the things that, um, that I want to say real quick, one of the things that I really like about the RC Pastel is like that, and, and I don't know if it's just me, but a, an RC Pastel to me seems like the cleanest Pastel line out there. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the, the way they're maturing right now, I mean, I just switched them over to large rats, and they're just, every time I open up their tub, they, they just look awesome. I also got a really smoking hot RC Pastel Hypo Jungle Het Call. Um, that's just amazing looking. Like she actually has like orange and purple hues all over her body. She's absolutely killer. And, uh, the one thing I wanted to do and I did was pick up some animals from Europe and get some different blood over here. Um, yeah. So for that, uh, I got a absolutely smoking, uh, lipstick sun glow possible het blood from, uh, Tim over at Imperator Morphs. Oh man, he's got some fantastic stuff, dude. The stuff that he has. Yeah. This dude, me, he's unreal. I mean, he's like just bright orange and red throughout his entire body right now. And uh, so I'm going to breed that lipstick sun glow possible head blood, which I will be absolutely shocked if he doesn't prove out. Oh yeah, I'd be, I'd be amazed if that doesn't prove out blood. And uh, I'm going to plug him into that RC Pastel Hypo Jungle head. Wow. Color. So I think that's that's one of my uh, top litters that I'm looking forward to. And then I also picked up uh, a really nice Pink Panther uh, double head snow female from him that will be ready to go next year as well. So And then uh, also got um, working towards a uh, IMG snow and snow glow project as well. I picked up a uh, IMG het VPI possible het annery, and she'll be ready to breed next year as well. So, and then uh, that one girl that I got from you, the uh, Pink Panther Hypo Jungle het VPI, she'll be ready to go next year as well. So, um, it, it's really about to start turning over. You know, like I said, it, it takes a while. I've got six girls now that are breeding size, but next season that'll turn into sixteen. So, wow. yeah. Well, that's one thing a lot of people that are maybe coming over from other parts of the reptile industry maybe don't really understand or appreciate. And that's that in order to really be successful in the boa game, you really got to grow them slow, right? So, and there's no, you know, power feeding is not going to make you successful. It's essentially just going to get your animal sick a lot of times. Right. Really, if you're doing it right and you're taking your time, it takes a little bit longer, but that's why... um, the breeders that are significantly more successful are those who put like the care of their animals first above, you know, their success as a breeder itself. Right. Right. No doubt. Yeah. Um, another one too, uh, I picked up, I picked her up from, uh, Randy Silverman. I got a, um, lipstick, uh, sun glow jungle motley. Uh, she'll be five years old next year. So I'm actually going to breed her to that uh, lipstick sun glow possible head blood that I got from Tim. And I mean, she's, you know, she'll be almost five years old and her colors for, for being a call that that lipstick line is a, is a beautiful thing. Cause she looks great. 
Yeah, man, that's freaking awesome, dude. So, um, any other uh, season updates? You pairing anything right now, or is it uh, just the projects that we're working on together? So, I did. I paired up two other pairs this year. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't take the. I didn't observe. I uh, bred a IMG Motley uh, Het VPI to a uh, Pink Panther VPI Jungle and. Uh, I don't know, man. I just didn't observe too much breeding activity from them. And I kind of finally decided to pull the plug on that. That was one that I was obviously really hoping for, but right. you know, there's always next year. So we'll see. That was one of my powerhouse males that I got uh, about two years ago from, uh, from Al Mosier over at Boa Zone. So yeah, shout Still out to Big Al. To his thing, but he, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's one that, of my favorite that, that guys. IMG model, yeah, he's a good dude. He's a really good dude, and hopefully that'll go next year. Get some uh, IMG Motley and Jungle VPIs out of them. Yeah, no, hundred percent, man. I think uh, that's going to be pretty sick once you're able to bring that up and, and you're able to produce that. So, um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about you know what are some of the lessons learned when you set up kind of your reptile business. What are some of the things you that you know now that you wish you would have known back then when you first got started? Hmm. It's very time consuming. <laughs> uh, you know that, and it, it, it definitely, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, uh, I think if you're, if you're sales driven in this hobby, I think you're going to be relatively disappointed. Uh, and I, I, you know, because starting off, you know, at first, you know, when I first produced those three litters last year, I'm like, man, you know, I can't get rid of any of these snakes and this and that. And I tell you what, the one thing that I will say for anybody listening is, uh, if, if you're not get on morph market, uh, <laughs> cause morph market did wonders for me, man. Like I, I just tried doing the Facebook thing, you know, and with Facebook cracking down on, you know, the selling of boas and all that, it, it made it very difficult. And then as soon as I started listing stuff on morph market, uh, things turned around pretty quick and started getting rid of a decent amount of babies. But, um, yeah, just, it, it definitely doesn't happen overnight. You know, you, you have to be in it for love of the animals and just because you like doing it and you like keeping them really rather than, uh, you know, profit driven, I would say. Yeah, no, I think you're dead on on that. And yeah, as you said, man, if you're not on Morph Market, you're absolutely insane. Hey, uh, Dave, real quick, plug your Morph Market page for those that might be interested in purchasing something from you. Yeah, so it's uh, Kinetic Genetics is the name. Um, two words, and uh, yeah, I have some babies left over from uh, last year still available. Um, mostly all lipstick... Uh, Lipstick, Kodam, uh, Het Call combos, Jungle Motley combos uh, with Hypo in there as well. Uh, and then I have some really nice, uh, you know, the uh, RC Pastel Jungle Motley Het VPI litter that I talked about. Um, and those are coloring up crazy. They are so red. They look great. Uh, and then actually yesterday, my uh, Summit Pastel Jungle girl, she had her litter. Um, I bred her to a... Uh, Pastel Dream Monster Tail Motley that was produced by uh, Sergio Hernandez. And she ended up, for her size, uh, the litter was a little disappointing. I expected more from her. She's a really big girl. Uh, she ended up having, uh, I think she dumped them about a week or two early. 
Uh, she had 10 good babies, seven slugs, and three stillborns, but the babies that more than likely are going to be okay, um, they look absolutely incredible. Um, it's really cool how the, uh, how the jungle gene works. She's like a classic-looking jungle girl, no aberrancy to her whatsoever, just a nice thick head spear and you know the classic jungle saddles, and uh, she threw some wild stuff. So I'm really looking forward to those uh, soaking up their egg sacs and, and being healthy babies. Uh, those will be up there maybe in about a month or so. Hey, uh, question for you. Any chance you think that she might still be retaining some of the babies and she's going to drop some more on the actual due date? Uh, I don't think so. I checked her uh, as well as I could because she was obviously a little hyper aggressive and, and moving a lot, but I didn't feel anything in there. And um, she looks pretty you know, evenly skinny throughout her whole body and nothing that I can notice or feel at the moment, but definitely something I'm going to keep an eye out for over the next couple of days. So we'll see. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And no, I had a, a, um, a sibling of one of your snakes, a, uh, Sunglow Montley, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a Sunglow Jungle, um, that was a VPI snake. And, um, she ended up dropping a small litter on me last year, about maybe 12 babies. And about a week after that, she dropped five more. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Yeah, no, I just literally opened up the cage one day to just feed her because, you know, it's post-baby uh, time. So we're trying to get some healthy weight back on her, get her rehydrated and stuff like that, right? And she was in the process of dropping some babies. So immediately I busted out my ultrasound. Now, mind you, she's a smaller girl. So when she first dropped the litter, I thought she was done, you know? Um, but I ultrasounded her and yeah, notice that she still had a couple in there and kind of just backed out, let her do her thing. Luckily she wasn't a hyper aggressive snake cause she actually is, you know, for the most part, a pet snake to my kids. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, let her drop it out. She got all of them out. I ultrasounded her afterwards, made sure she wasn't retaining anything else. And yeah, dude, she produced some nice babies, man, that were mixed with, uh, the Key West complex for us. So I was okay. pretty psyched about that. Nice. Yeah, man. So um, let's talk a little bit about what you think kind of the future of the hobby is in your eyes. What are some of the things that you think guys out there should need to keep their eyes out on? What are some of the things maybe you're looking out for where you really think this hobby is going to be uh, getting pushed through the next five, ten years? Uh, I would say the different, uh, different pastel lineages, specifically the RC and the red rum. Uh, I think there's a, a br- bright future uh for those definitely uh we're just now starting to see you know varying combos with the red rum red rum vpis are starting to be uh produced a little bit more now uh, as, as well as the rc pastels um and then uh also i would have to say the fire gene and the labyrinth gene i think there's going to be a lot of cool stuff made with those uh in the next coming uh, years for sure no doubt about that. I know uh, Richard had that RC Pastel uh, VPI litter, um, fire litter, last year, and those are some some great-looking snakes. So I think the future looks bright for those. And, of course, the IMG. I mean, I, I think IMG is becoming a little more saturated right now, but I, I think there's still a decent amount of work to be done with that as far as implementing them especially into the into the vpi snow game i think the vpi snow imgs and snow glow imgs look absolutely incredible and there's just really not a lot of them out there right now yeah no you're right and it's you know snow snows and snow glows just 
you know, they tend to be just such a difficult snake to hit in the first place that I don't think there's going to be a lot of them out there, you know, even within the next five years. You know what I'm talking about? Because when you start stacking yeah. significant amount of genetics, it just gets more and more complex. There might be a little bit more just straight up snows, but snows with some pattern morphs, that's, I, I think that's still going to be relatively rare, you know, within right. the next few years. But, you know, that's that's how it ends up going. So you mentioned a lot uh, about some of those pastel lineages that you think are really going to be driving the hobby forward. And there's a lot of mixing of various pastel lineages right now. But there's one old school pastel lineage that a lot of people uh, have now been essentially shifting their focus to. And I know you did that, too, when you ended up picking up a lot of your uh, original breeding stock. And that's the pastel dream monster tail stuff that Jeff Ronnie originally produced, right? So mm-hmm. the talk to me a little bit about what kind of uh, drew your attention to those boas. Uh, I would have to say just w- with the motley male that I got, um, what really attracted me to it is the like, like the classic motley, the solid motley pattern. I think that comes with them too. The male that I had, you know, just solid interconnected saddles all the way down, almost to the point where it's just like circles going down their back. You know, uh, that's the one thing that I really liked about the one male that I got. Um, and the, the, the offspring that he just produced that, that just dropped yesterday, man, they're, they're just some, some crazy looking, great looking snakes. Um, you know, and then, Plugging it into the Summit Pass, though, I wasn't sure how that was going to work out. But, I mean, from what I see so far, they're, all the babies that are going to make it look pretty good right now. So time will tell once they get a couple sheds on their own and go from there. Awesome, man. So, guys, we're going to take a break real quick. When we come back, we're really going to dive a little bit deeper into the Pastel Dream Monster Tail Gene. Thanks for listening. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome back. We're still here with uh, Dave from uh, Kinetic Genetics. Um, so we are talking about the pastel dream monster tail gene. So for you guys that might not be uh, familiar with this particular gene, it originated back in 2000 uh, with Jeff Ronnie. When I think he picked up like an orange tail hypo, and it produced like really impressive animals. So he kept breeding it to that lining. It just produced more impressive animals with every project that he worked in. So this, this uh, gene is known obviously to bring nice pastel hues into projects but also to really produce large, colorful tails um, that tend to transcend basically every gene that they get mixed with, right? So it seems like anything you throw this on, it really tends to improve. So I wanted to talk with Dave a little bit about his uh, utilization of this gene and essentially, you know, some of the things that he uses this gene for and maybe some of the future opportunities that he's looking to use this gene with. So Dave. Yes, so... Uh, basically what, what I'm planning on doing with some of these babies that I just got, I want to plug them into, uh, into the VPI gene. Uh, I really, me personally, I haven't seen any pastel dream monster tail VPIs, uh, that I'm aware of. I mean, I'm sure they're out there probably in Jeff's black hole of boas that he has, but, uh, that's one of the things that I wanted to do. And then of course this year, what I also wanted to do is, plug it into uh, uh, another pastel 
uh, lineage, which I did with the Summit Pastel. And I kind of wanted to cross those two and, and, you know, see what the outcome would be and how the babies would end up looking. Uh, and this, what do you think ballpark would would be? Like, what's your guess that that outcome would probably end up looking? What are you hoping for? As far as the VPIs go? No, I would say as far as the Pastel Dream uh, Monster Tails being crossed over into the Summit Pastel line. Into the Summit Pastel? I'm hoping for even more of a lighter snake, but with that strong, you know, blocky pattern you know that that comes with uh with the pastel dream monster tail line uh the male that i bred her to like i said he has that strong motley pattern huge tail striping that's like a third of his body and you know he has the motley circles going down his back and and the offspring uh from breeding him to that summer pastel grill they just they look awesome right now and they're just born so i'm looking forward to them you know shedding out and eating some food and getting a couple sheds under them and seeing how they develop as far as coloration and pattern goes kind of hoping to get, you know, even more color to them, you know, but with that strong, uh, pattern and, and their, their patterns are uh, pretty incredible looking right now. So I'm excited to see how they develop. Nice, man. Any other projects that you're going to be working uh pastel dream monster tail into? Um, just him to the summit for now. And then I'm probably going to end up, breeding uh one or two of the males from this litter into uh into some vpis and see how that goes oh that'll be insane man imagine yeah. you know stacking that onto maybe some pink panther jeans that or red panther right. jeans. That'd yeah be pink panther phenomenal. red panther yep exactly so let me know uh what are some of the opportunities do you think uh kind of still exists within this gene what's something that maybe you were hoping to do or maybe you don't have the stock at the current moment that you'd like to see other people do with this particular gene to kind of take it to the next level huh that's a good question um i don't know one thing that i would like to see it not do is get mixed into the hypo gene too much mm, that's a really uh, good point yeah yeah, especially when it comes to, you know, the way the hypogene works when it, when it kind of washes out patterns and, you know, takes away from that. Uh, I would like to see it, you know, stick away from the hypogene. Um, but, yeah, just basically I I would like to see more uh, more pastel to pastel, bringing in different pastel lines and, and seeing what can come out of that. And then, of course, into VPIs as well. And now you were saying also that this gene does have the ability that you're uh, working with adding this gene into um, obviously Motley and into the into the jungle gene, right? right. Do you think do you think by doing so you're going to be able to get what a stronger pattern, more color? Kind of what are your what, what was kind of some of the thinking behind that? Uh, my goal was uh, main goal was pattern, um, and with this uh, litter that just dropped yesterday, I would definitely say that goal is accomplished. Um, the, the patterns on them are just, they're some of the wackiest looking Motley Jungle combos that I've personally seen, and I'm pretty happy that they're here. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet, man. It turned out pretty cool. Yeah. 
Well, cool, man. I, I guess one of the things that some people out there may uh, tend to forget from time to time, it's really easy for us to get caught up maybe with what's the latest pastel line or what's the latest gene. But a lot of times, actually going back to some of the older lines uh, and really bringing them back into the hobby, uh, you know, they're really going to provide us some major advantages kind of moving forward because there's a reason those particular lines like Pastel Dream Monster Tail became so popular in the beginning, right? And that's simply because they produce some phenomenal animals. Even like a sing like a regular Pastel Dream Monster Tail is still a beautiful animal to look at, you know? Oh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> Yeah, when I saw this male available, he was um, I, I jumped right on him right away, and I instantly thought about breeding him to the Summit Pastel Jungle Girl, and it finally happened this year, so all good. Yeah, no, 100%, man, and I think one of the things that maybe people that are um, listening to us for the first time or people that uh, maybe are fairly new to the hobby uh, and are coming from other parts of the hobby, like, say, from the ball python uh, side of the hobby, they're very much used to paying a particular price for a particular gene, right? And they don't understand that a lot of times that within the BOA hobby, we pay a premium for quality. And when I mean a premium, that might be that sometimes for a gene that you say would normally expect to pay $200, we'll pay $2,000 for it at times, right? If it's the best possible example that we can find of that gene. And I think by doing what you're doing, Dave, um, you are number one going to produce some fantastic animals and you already are producing some fantastic animals. But then really number two is you're producing the best possible example for that particular gene that you can, right? And I think for the smaller breeders out there that feel like they can't compete with the bigger breeders, you're absolutely right. Maybe you cannot compete on volume. You cannot complete, compete on other items such as that. But what you can't compete with the bigger breeders is you can compete on quality, right? And you can really focus and try to generate animals that you would want, you would want to buy and animals that other people out there are going to be envious of. I mean, at the end of the day, it sounds horrible, but your job to really be successful in this hobby is create animals that produce a sense of admiration in your eyes, but also produce a sense of admiration in the eyes of other people in the hobby. What do right. you feel about that? Yeah, you know, yeah, there's there's no doubt about that. That's something I learned very quickly. It's it's definitely uh, you know, quality over quantity type of hobby. And uh that's why I'm really heavy with uh, you know different pastels, pastel dream monster tail, the R C pastel and uh and the red rum. Uh, and that's why I also got, you know, some really nice animals from over in Europe from Tim too, because his animals, I mean, his lipstick stuff and his pink Panther snows that he produces, you know, I, I definitely, uh, made a, I think I made a smart move getting some animals from him that, uh, you know, are going to do some good things for me here in the future starting next year. So yeah, definitely, uh, invest in quality. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And then let me ask you something, dude. Obviously, you got some animals from Tim over in Europe. Um, that was your first time purchasing animals from overseas. Was that kind of a nerve wracking experience with that? How, how, how did that kind of how did you view that process uh, during the process so, and then after? That whole process was actually extremely easy. Um, I contacted Tim over a couple animals that I wanted. He's a great dude. Uh, very helpful, you know, quick to respond. And, um, yeah, it went pretty seamlessly, actually. Uh, he shipped them over here to, I'm not sure who it was, but to someone uh, down in Florida. And he was kind of like, you know, the, the middleman in the whole transaction. And then uh, 
after they made a pit stop in Florida, they arrived here in Ohio and yeah, it went very smooth. So I, w- I would definitely say to anyone, you know, because some of the animals over in Europe are just outstanding, especially with Tim and some of the other breeders over there, they have top notch quality animals. And, you know, if, it, if it's something you're thinking about and, you know, want to get something from them, I'd, I would definitely say, you know, jump and, and go for it. It's uh it's a pretty smooth, uh, smooth deal. Yeah, no, definitely, man. All right, brother. So we're going to take a break real quick. When we come back, we're going to play the Dirty Dozen. The Dirty Dozen. All right, guys, we're back with Dave Schmidt of Kinetic Genetics, and it's time to play the Dirty Dozen. So I'm going to ask you 12 questions. You're going to give me 12 answers. All right, number one, Dave, what's the size of your current collection? Size of my current collection, uh, with the new babies just born yesterday, I think I'm sitting at like 53 or 54, uh, varying mix between, you know, yearlings, newborns, and then adults and sub-adults. I'd say majority of my collection are all on the brink of being breedable size. They're all males and, f- males and females that are uh, right around three to four years old. All right, man. Number two, this is going to be the husbandry-related question. Uh, do you do frozen thought or life, and what's your betting choice? Uh, so as far as frozen thought or live, uh, frozen thought for everything. Uh, the one thing I've noticed, usually to get newborn boas to feed, sometimes they have to be coursed with uh, you know a live fuzzy for the first feeding or two. Uh, but then once once they get that knocked out, uh, they switch over to frozen thought right away. And so yeah, frozen thought for everybody. And then uh, bedding, I just keep it simple. I keep everything on uh, paper towels. And then once I have females that are gravid, uh, I put in uh, some aspen bedding to give them a little bit more uh, texture and security throughout uh their gestation period and then of course for you know nesting purposes just for a little comfort factor for them yeah no for sure man all right man number three what is your favorite morph or locality hmm favorite locality even though i don't even have any i would probably have to say the surinams <laughs> yeah the, the bccs it's eventually i'm gonna get into them but i was uh, gonna say sounds like you need to get yourself some surinams yeah I, I i definitely do it's it's probably gonna be one of the next little projects i get into some bcc stuff uh as far as morphs go man uh geez I would probably have to say, like a lot of people, IMG. I think a lot of the new IMG stuff is is pretty cool looking. Awesome, man. Number four, what is the most overrated morph? Most overrated morph? Uh, I would have to say probably the Sterling Boa. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I don't know, man. They just don't do it for me. I just don't see much in them. It's just just a patternless snake that's usually a dull color and i don't know i just don't see i don't i don't see a lot in sterlings <laughs> all right man number 5 okay. what's the most underrated morph underrated morph i would have to say huh it's a good question underrated i would go with i would say like really good high quality like lipstick call stuff um, some of the lipstick call stuff is just absolutely on fire and everyone always thinks, you know, 
for a high quality albino sharp 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 but i've seen more and more you know lipstick call boas that are just absolutely on fire with you know red and orange and oh for sure man there's stuff for example that brad sherman has that every time i see i go to his place knocks me off my feet man yeah he he posted i i I remember uh maybe a couple weeks ago he posted uh it was like a lipstick jungle motley or, or something like that and i mean this thing was just it was absolutely unbelievable you know so yeah i would definitely say uh probably the call with a little bit of lipstick mixed in awesome man all right, brother, number six, what is your favorite part of the hobby? Favorite part, I would have to say the feedback I receive from customers after they receive a baby that I ship to them. Uh, I think that's probably my most rewarding part of the hobby, uh, knowing you know all the time and, and money that you know goes into keeping and producing babies and then you know, having someone buy one from you and, you know, their, their trust that they put into you, you know, not knowing who you are or anything personally. And, you know, when I get that email or that text message after they get it, you know, praising me and the, and the baby and how good it looks and everything, I would have to say customer feedback is probably number one. All right, man. That's a good one. Uh, number seven, what's the worst part of the hobby? Worst part. Hmm. Uh, I would say, I mean, even with a collection of my size, I mean, I'm at like 50 some snakes right now and it takes me, you know, <laughs> three, four five hours to, to clean everybody twice a week. Either that or the, uh, the unfortunate part of breeding when, you know, you, you get a bunch of slugs or stillborns, you know, something like that. It's just, you know, it's, it's part of it, you know, it's unfortunate, but you know, it is what it is when dealing with live animals. So. It's a little bit of a bummer, but it happens. Yeah, no, for sure, dude. All right, man. Uh, number eight. What do you have? Any other species that you keep, and if so, why or why not? I do not. No, it's it's all boas right now. Actually, um, if I can talk my wife into it, uh, just because of their size, and um, I wouldn't mind having like a really small scale like retic uh, project. Um, those uh what are they called like panda pides or something like that yeah yeah. Uh, yeah i think those are some really cool looking retakes those are the golden childs uh yeah i don't know especially when you know i'm away and she has to take care of the snakes i don't know I and mean, she she has her hands full with you know six seven foot bows i don't know how well the next feel. time you come down for deer camp hopefully uh jay brewer's here again our good hunting buddy over here and he he might be able to convince her he's pretty yeah. enthusiastic about his retics yeah yeah my wife and my mom watches videos all the time you know of him you know taking big retake girls off their eggs and stuff they get a kick out of it they think he's a really cool dude and i'm like yeah i've been in deer camp with that guy before carlos his buddies with him <laughs> yep. all right man uh number nine what's a common misconception about you uh common misconception uh maybe as far as being approachable uh I think a misconception with guys, especially with our background is that we're hard to approach or we're, you know, tough individuals or, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, just one misconception is just, you know, I'm, I'm just very easygoing, laid back guy, easy to deal with. And, you know, I'm one of those guys who likes everybody until you give me a reason not to like you, <laughs> you know? And, uh, yeah, the one thing I would say too, for people, you know, listening, um, 
you know, don't be, don't be apprehensive, you know, to purchase snakes from someone who's, you know, an unknown breeder or just starting out in it. You know, if they're producing quality animals and they come off as a good person with a, a you know, solid content of character, then, you know, definitely don't hesitate to, uh, to do business with them for sure. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And a lot of times there's, um, and this is something that me and uh, Tyler Johnson were talking about, to, about, um, last podcast and that's that a lot of times people are hesitant to um, buy from newer breeders but the reality is just because they've only been producing a couple years doesn't mean necessarily that they're new like for example you have been breeding boas for almost you know what 15 16 years now right and the same thing with Tyler you know Tyler used to work for Peter Call (laughs) you know what I mean even though he's only been producing for three years he was basically working at Peter Call's facility for a few years which, you know, that dude has probably seen more boas dropped, you know, than, right. than, than most of the people out there in the hobby, uh, with the exception of probably Jeff Ronnie, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, number 10, what makes you say, what was I thinking when you look at, when you look back at your time in the hobby? <laughs> um, I would probably have to say lying to myself when I just said, I'm just going to have a couple and just keep it small. Uh, <laughs> because uh, I should have known that was a lie. You know, I'm at 50-some right now, and I have no plans of stopping. I just want to, you know, keep getting bigger and better, but also while maintaining, you know, a good quality stock of animals at the same time. And not just – I, I kind of want it to be a numbers game, but a numbers game dealing with quality, if that makes sense. Oh, so, 100%, dude. Yeah, so, yeah. When I first said, oh, I just, you know, want a little – couple little vpis or something you know five years ago it evolved quite a bit from then so (laughs) yeah for sure all right brother number 11 what's one tip you would give people looking to invest in boas uh i would say obviously like we've talked about investing quality and if the finances allow it invest in high-end animals that are relatively new to the hobby as well um you know pay, pay attention to what you know, everybody likes pay attention to what big breeders post and how many likes the pictures of that certain animal Ooh, get picture, yeah. you know something like that that's always something i've done and um one thing i've done too it's kind of funny i will like I'll go to like different breeders, morph market pages and everything and pay attention to when they first list animals. And then I'll go back and I'll creep what's been sold and what they still have. You know what I mean? And I take that into account too, uh, when it comes to, you know, future projects and damn, that's a really good tip, dude. Yeah. And what I'm going to do, I I always pay attention to what's, uh, what other guys are moving at a, at a, you know, successful rapid rate. All right, man. Number 12. Finally, any shout outs you want to give? Uh, shout outs. Let's see. Uh, give a shout out to RC, um, wonder Richard Del Bono, uh, Randy and Al over at the Boa Zone. Those are good guys. Uh, that's about it. Probably. <laughs> oh, brother. Well, yeah. guys, I think that wraps it up for today. Uh, Dave, tell the people out there where they can see your animals and where they can learn more about you. Yes, yeah, so I have a Facebook page. It's uh, Kinetic Genetics, K-I-N-E-T-I-C, uh, Genetics. 
And then I'm also under uh, Morph Market under that same name. Uh, still have some babies left over from last year listed on Morph Market. And then I'll be putting up a couple of these babies from this uh, Pastel Dream Monster Tail Motley to Summit Pastel Jungle Litter as well in the next coming weeks. So stay tuned. And then next year, uh, next year is going to be a big year for me. I'm going to have about 10 females that are going to turn over and, and be ready to breed next year. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be some good stuff. Everything's finally starting to come together. Amen. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. We are out. guys that was a great episode thanks to dave for joining us today join us next time as we speak with michael roscoe of the reptile shop we're going to talk about the opening of his brand new retail store the tns gene and he's even going to give us some tips on how to bend your first reptile show thanks for listening we appreciate you guys tuning in do us a favor if you enjoyed the show please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and a review on itunes spotify google play and youtube until next time grow them slowly